Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Good morning everybody good morning it is a good morning morning everybody morning everyone dang terrence is up early today hey watching watching uh jim kramer completely shut down the conversation of btc on uh, cnbc this morning was pretty funny (laughs) literally carl carl cantania said said what about uh, that move in btc and jim said this is literally i think i got the quote right oh oh you know david i really like amazon and then they they didn't they didn't mention anything about it the entire hour the rest, <laughs> he that was just pretended the rest of the hour, it wasn't they mentioned nothing about btc i'm quite sure the the producer said into carl cantania's ear do not talk about btc we're <laughs> <laughs> not done accumulating what a fucking how, how so fucking wrong all the time, you know? He's the perfect contraindicator, though, isn't he? Legacy experts, am I right? Yeah when you when you make uh, when you make a fortune off of the nineteen eighty seven nineteen eighty eighty seven kind of yeah nineteen eighty seven crash because you got your money out prior to. And then you just live on that reputation for the next 20 years. Uh, and then you put yourself in a position where you're a commentator on a, uh, on a, on a news show for the next 20 years past that. He doesn't actually have to do anything anymore. You know what I mean? Like there's no more proof of work necessary. He can just run his fucking mouth and it's all good. I think he did pay for his farm with Bitcoin though, by the way, his Bitcoin gains. Right. Yes, he did. That's well. At least that's what he claims. So I think he sold. I think he sold most of his Bitcoin close to the close to the top. So I mean, that's you know, I guess from a tradfi legacy tradfi perspective, that that was a smart move. No, it would have been a good trade, right? Like if he, I I don't know what his numbers are, but like you know, that'd have been a good trade. But here's the funny part: this is that like in hindsight, after. After we pass the last all the, the last all time high, he's gonna start kicking himself. Like this is what happened with me. You know, I thought I was a fucking genius. In 2017, the price of Bitcoin goes past a thousand dollars per Bitcoin. I'm like, huh, maybe I should buy some of this. And then I held it all the way to the end of that year. And I'm like, ooh, this is definitely a bubble. Sold that shit. And I thought I was a fucking genius, right? <laughs> no, bro. Zoom out, idiot. It's like the it's like the guy whose name shall not be said um, said you 
you know, it's hard to admit you're wrong. And that's when you, that's when you capitulate and you purchase Bitcoin is when you admit you're wrong about what you thought about it. hundred percent. You have to be able to put that ego away and be like, okay, I was wrong. Okay. It's cool. I own that shit. Grow up, be a goddamn grown up right now. <laughs> Speaking of which, I think I'm wrong or I quite, quite more and more sure I'm, I was wrong about the timing for spot bitcoin etf approval and launch oh, i think it's oh, going to happen what what wait a minute explain yourself what, what why what has sure, changed sure. so a uh, couple things what is um kathy wood said that she she's been they've been talking to the sec right gensler saying they're reviewing all the applications um market totally disagrees with my View that the you know the NYAG thing should be bearish for the price. So all this is telling me, and, and there's some other things going on, but um, all this is telling me that the catalyst looks like it's Bitcoin spot approval, amplified by all these other things. Short sellers getting squeezed, gamma squeeze, blah blah blah. But yeah, it. I, I think it's going to happen much faster. That's BlackRock getting Q-SIPs, even though it's not this positive, right? Because um, I've been thinking about it. It's a good sign. Even though it's not the SEC granting the Q-SIP, it's not the SEC granting the ticker. Why would these um, entities do that unless they thought it was pretty close? So uh, I don't know. That, 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 that's not a, I don't know, man. Like, I'll, and I'll, I will tell you, I've been involved in funds before where you put the prospectus together, you get all your shit lined up, you submit it to the SEC, you go buy a QSIP, and it's like it doesn't necessarily mean you're actually going to launch or not. These are just things you have to have in place. It's kind of like if you have a business, yeah. you need a business license and you need a bank account, right? You need those things to do business. So they're just getting ready. Yes. Hey, and then there's... Is there is yeah, there anyone is there anyone like on or near the area of the stage maybe who you know felt that 2023 was the year? Uh yeah, there's the Bloomberg intelligence people, right? Um Alex Thorne has a good thread on this. Uh, and I posted a screenshot about this uh just now. Um so let me just read it or kind of highlight the key parts. But yeah, I think it's happening faster. So he does a better job, I think, than I did of explaining why the timing is uh, maybe happening faster. But basically, is um, <clears throat> I might spot move higher in the near term. Anticipation of Bitcoin ETF approvals is heating up. Kathy Wood, Paul. Wall, who unfortunately is a dot each guy, but he's actually says some things that are you know in the GC of uh, Coinbase, Morgan, and their friends at Bloomberg have all been very constructive on end of year, and BTC bled higher all last week, overtaking the highs from last month on the fake news. Um, so, yeah, part of that I think relates to timing. It's the Bloomberg Intelligence guys. I think it's like James Seifert and Eric Bacallhouse or something. Um, but yeah. 
I just feel like they, they know more than than I do, and some of us Bitcoin living in a bit of a bubble because we don't <clears throat> talk to those crypto DGEN folks. We don't talk to regulators, legislators as much. Um, yeah, so I think in this case they know stuff we don't. Hey, That's hey, kind of my thinking. Yeah. Terrence, you, you posted about an hour yeah, ago. I'm looking at your time, at your feed. You posted about an yeah. hour ago that all ETS will probably be approved at the same time. Do you think that includes um, Grayscale? That I, I don't, I'm less confident on Grayscale, but yeah, there's a good chance because like um, there's another DM I had with uh, someone else allegedly. Uh, and they, there's someone I kind of trust to be in the know more than me on this stuff. And they said that um, because Grayscale isn't named in the lawsuit, it's just Genesis. And Genesis looks terrible. Gemini looks terrible. But it doesn't have anything to do with Grayscale. Grayscale is so perceived to be independent that Grayscale will get approved. Uh, there's a good chance it gets done all at the same time. I think Joe Carlosari also helped change my mind. He's very smart, as we know. And he basically said, for kind of the SEC to approve, the, I think he said something like, you guys can help correct my understanding. Alex was in the room this uh, afternoon or evening sort of spaces. He, I, I believe Joe said, look, the, the SEC can't go around and approve other uh, ETS, but not Grayscale, they're going to go nuts because they were first. They're the only ones that sued and won. And the others kind of ran out the clock on the SEC, and the SEC decided not to appeal. So the court, district court, sorry, circuit court of appeals, the appellate court, finally kind of formally said, hey, you guys now have to um, go back and either approve the grayscale ETF or come up with other reasons for why you're approving futures ETFs but not grayscales. Like, what, what's the rational basis for that? So, yeah, I think, uh, I think grayscale is in there. I think they all get approved at once, including grayscale, unless one of them has, um, like just shows that they're not really competent when the SEC questions them because they're all copying the same language. But that doesn't mean that they all know what they're doing, right? Anybody can copy language. Justin Sun copied the Ethereum white paper and other things. Okay, let's intro the show. Welcome to Cafe Bitcoin. This is episode 461. Shout outs to our supporters on Fountain and Noster Nest. Our mission for this show is to provide the signal and to see a noise teach the other 7 billion people on this planet why there is hope because of this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin. Today, we're going to be covering Max Kaiser's new challenge, long journeys through the desert with no water. That's the Bitcoiner life for the past, what is it, Dombay? 510 days, Jesus. 510 and days of bludgeoning. Of bludgeoning, you know, being like, in a corner kicked by a mob of angry people. Uh, and the current pump, obviously, in Bitcoin. This is quite the setup. This is wild. Brad, by the way, Brad Mills is in the audience. Shout out to Brad. You should be up here. I want to hear your opinion on what's going on right now. I'm throwing you an invite. 
what else is going on? No guests today. So we're just going to talk about stats. We'll talk about changes. Some of these changes. So first of all, on the one day, Bitcoin price is up 12%. On the seven day, Bitcoin price is up 21.18%. On the monthly, Bitcoin is up 29.35%. Year to date, 107.97%. And the all time, I know Terrence hates this number and so do others, but I don't care. I like it. 49,000,098%. Haters can those, screw yourselves. Those new Liberty Standard plebs are, are having a great time. Down 51% from the all time high, just a 2x away. How long does that take in Bitcoin sometimes? That's a good stat. A few months. A few what? Oh, did I say months? I meant to say minutes. Are we going to do this out of order? Because I already mentioned it and Dom already mentioned it. Five Dom tweeted this today. 510 days of beatdowns and our collective conviction in Bitcoin only grew stronger. We've been here every day. For those who know, you know. As the thing was going down through the depths of the bottom, cruising sideways. I say cruising. <laughs> limping sideways for 510 brutal days. Not being brutal. 510 days to uh, consolidate and acquire BTC at levels that uh, we probably will never see again. Yeah, it's been a while, but from my perspective, it's uh, this one's been more fun for me than the last one. I don't know if it was spaces or just everybody here or just, you know, where we are relative to where I came in or whatever, but this one was just funner than the last one, more fun. You know how it was fun, Ant? This is just my opinion. It was fun because we were hanging out together during this thing, like, you know, in the trenches. There's a saying, you know, like in the... You look at guys that go to war together and they're in some shit, you know what I mean? They're, they're, they experience some pretty rough stuff together. The bonds that are built there last forever because it's like, yeah, you went through that stuff together. And that's how I feel about a lot of the folks on you know, in Cafe Bitcoin. A lot of our sort of hardcore lo hardcore loyal listeners, it's like that. They, you know, like if you're one of those people, you know exactly what I'm saying to you. I had so much fun with Stack Chain and with Cafe Bitcoin. Yeah, it was just funny. I mean, you know, like the, the last time it was kind of lonely, you know, I didn't have spaces. So, and you know, you're on a lot of the, you're going through that change too, where you're becoming Bitcoin only, but a lot of the people that you've been interacting with for like the last couple of years have been shitcoiners and you're seeing this divide. Gets lonely at the end of that bear market last time. No one to really talk to. Your friends and family in real life are kind of mad at you. And Dude, other just, Bitcoiners started talking you? Yeah, I mean, you know, but I guess you're right. I mean, we're in this thing together now. We've been, you know, 460 something shows every morning talking about this thing. And, uh, you know, there's been more like Bitcoin only focus this cycle, I would say. But last one, 
Last one was like, I am legend. I can just picture Ant driving out there with the dog, just like, you know, seeing the mannequin in the middle of the street. Like, what the hell are you doing out here, Fred? <laughs> you know, one, one of the things that they were talking about in Dylan's space the other night was uh, kind of where the money is going to be this cycle, where it's going to be made and how it's going to be different from shitcoin trading fees, which has been the, the previous couple of cycles driving a lot of the money in this area to holding fees in Bitcoin, like in the BTC ETFs in particular. So I wonder how that's going to affect market dynamics and if we're going to see an even further kind of divergence between Bitcoin and shitcoins for that reason, just as narratives shift and incentive shifts. So last night, in in a David Bailey space, there was some. I don't know, but another thing that I was thinking about is that it's weird that, I mean, we talk about this thing growing in magnitudes, orders of magnitudes, but it's not just like a number or like a price action. Like there's also events that take place in orders of magnitudes. Like, you know, it's like these fractals that keep appearing and growing in size, not fractal patterns on charts, real fractals. Uh, you know, like at this time in the last cycle. It was Michael Saylor and I was getting excited because Michael Saylor was, you know, was here and like, you know, fidelity was was building stuff. I didn't know what I didn't know back then. You know, I didn't really have the full perspective that I have today. And now it's like even bigger. It's it's, you know, BlackRock and, you know, governments and all this other shit. Like it's it's really big now. All right. It's also kind of scary. Noodle, I don't know hang, if on one. Noodle hang on one. <laughs> sorry, second, sorry, sorry. Like, uh, and I don't, I don't think you can hear Peter. Like part of me was like, I'm not going to say anything and just let this keep happening. But every time Peter talks, you talk over him. So I don't think you can hear him. It was funny the first couple of times, but one of you should probably reconnect. Go ahead, Noodle. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, well, apologies. I've been away for a while. I've been super, super busy, but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'm just some battered bull. I don't know, but I st- I'm still finding it hard to believe that we start a bull run now. And I know the whole ETF stuff is around the corner, et cetera, but I was expecting fireworks to sort, you know, for it to slowly grind up and the real fireworks to start kind of, I don't know, mid to late 2025. And I'm not ready. I haven't stacked. It's been a horrible past year for me. Like I have been absolutely slapped in the fucking face with childcare fees. So you know, <laughs> I have not been able to stack at all at times where, you know, if I wasn't paying what's probably the equivalent of almost $4,000 a month in childcare fees, then I could have stacked a fucking whole load. And um, yeah, my, my, my point is, is I don't know if I'm just about a ball, um, but, you know, I, you know, I know it's October, et cetera, and all of that. I just, I can't come to terms with a bull market starting so early. I don't believe it, 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 it's ever happened in, in, from my experience from previous cycles this early. I know there are new factors here. I know you've got the whole kind of ETF on the horizon and whatnot, but yeah, I don't, maybe I'm just a bad bull. I don't know. Good news. We spent no, a long time. You can have a catalyst besides the having, And in this case, it's the ETF. Yeah, I mean, liquidity is is fucking dried up. So any catalyst is going to send it flying. 
right? Either well, way, you talk either, about either liquidity. Direction, either direction. You, you you talk about liquidity. I can't remember. I I don't know how how favorably. Um, you know, the, I can't remember his name. The guy from Bitcoin Magazine, I think it is. But he was talking about. He had conversations. I saw a tweet of him and saying, you know, get your your coins off exchanges. You know, there's rumors about some exchanges having liquidity issues. I I don't know whether what to read into that or, or or what not to read into that. But then I saw another post from someone who's been a Coinbase customer for ten years and had restrictions put on his account, etc. So I guess message to anyone listening right now is, you know, and a swan constantly promote you know get your coins off the exchanges um because yeah we'll we'll find out who's um who's sitting with no trunks when the tide goes out yeah the setup the setup overall right now is pretty wild you know bitcoin has never been more tightly held there's record low supply of available bitcoin to buy on the exchanges liquidity is very tight also holders hodlers they're just not selling, man. Like a huge chunk, something like seventy percent of the supply of Bitcoin hasn't moved in over a year. So oh, people hell. who are coming in are like, you know, can I? Can somebody sell me some Bitcoin? And it's like crickets. You're not going to clutch that Bitcoin from these war-torn hands, dude. That are just like, good luck. Fuck yeah! Like people who held through this last five hundred and ten days of beatings, it's like you want our Bitcoin? How about go fuck yourself? Go get go, yeah. Go find an idiot. You better make a really fancy chair. I make, think the litmus tested is our chair better be comfortable as fuck. That chair better be like really, really nice. It better like be a fucking hover chair. Just brings me around. I think the litmus test is like friends and family as well. Like, like you know, any nah, normies that aren't nah, reading up on Bitcoin nah. have no idea what's going on. Nah, that nah. litmus test, the friends and family litmus, te- litmus test comes when we're nearing the peak. They're, they they don't know. That's... They still don't know what the fuck is going on, dude. That's what I'm saying. We're, 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 they we're don't want to talk about thing. it on mainstream media. They're, they're just ignoring it right now. Like, they are not going to. They don't even know it's happening, bro. We like agree, when, Alex. We're, we're in the disbelief phase right now. You too, Noodle. I'd be sweating to sell my Bitcoin. Yeah. Happy to sell it. 10 million each. Why is the bearish? Ten million Argentinian pesos or what? What are we talking here? Yeah, ten million US dollars of Bitcoin. Happy to sell. I think you might change your mind when it becomes uh, ten million per coin, and you probably will refuse to sell because by that point we'll just be using Bitcoin as the medium of exchange. He's gonna say two hundred million. <laughs> I just think it's going to go on forever at that point, probably. The melt up at that point will will basically be instant, is my thesis. Once we get once we get into the ten millions and hundred millions, like it's it's game over for fiat at that point. But it's going to be a long time before we get there, guys. Yeah, but <laughs> but but Simon, I I don't know if if you're aware of this. Again, I've not been on on Cafe Bitcoin for a while, but I, I don't know if you're aware of this. Re- ridiculous legislation they're thinking of putting ahead in the uk about having to pass some kind of exam or test to buy bitcoin in the uk i mean if if that doesn't show how scared they are um i mean i see it as a as a as a hilarious kind of tactic to to try and dissuade people from buying bitcoin but i I don't know if that's been discussed or if anyone's aware of it but i I do think that yeah i've I've I think it's quite funny. I mean, I'll be interested to see what the test says, but I mean, a lot of us these days in Bitcoin are saying to people, 
you know, people say, should I buy Bitcoin? We say, well, learn about Bitcoin, you know, spend some time, invest your time in learning about it because that's how you get real Bitcoiners. You know, people might buy it, leave it on exchange, not understand what it is, forget about it, you know, or, or get scared and sell it in the, the bear market. But if people actually learn about it and understand... Lose your wallet, lose your wallet, I, I, lose your fucking, lose your laptop it. that Max Kaiser gave you that has 10,000 Bitcoin on it, you know, do stupid shit like, like that. I, I agree, but, but I don't have to do any stupid fucking tests if I want to buy some you know, so some stocks and, uh, and whatnot. And, and, you know, if someone wants to smash by, they've got to go through a whole fucking exam. <laughs> and then there's a cooling off period, apparently. Oh, after. So even if they pass yeah. the exam, you're fucked. We're, we're <laughs> going we're to we're talk about that here in a minute. I want to hear from Mihai. We haven't seen you in a little bit. How are you doing? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Not too bad. Thank you for asking. I, uh, I, am, I am around. I have uh, multiple accounts. So probably you've, you've seen another name which you don't didn't recognize. So I do apologize about that. But I am around. Uh, you guys can't get rid of me so easily. <laughs> uh, in regards to what you call it, uh, the uh, UK uh, law that is deemed to come into place, it's not uh, for Bitcoin. It's for the entire cryptocurrency shitcoin environment, basically. Because uh, some people, some as you may know, some cryptos out there, most cryptos out there, are volatile as hell. And most of them, they are literally pump and dump schemes. If you look at the charts, it's not very difficult to, uh, to comprehend. Now, what happened in the past couple of years, I've actually scared the regulators because all the, all the, um, the people with a smartphone in their pocket, all of a sudden, they have access to losing their money with, uh, with ease. No one can control themselves. Imagine, it's like you need a, a proper experience as an investor. Um, what do you call it? You need some knowledge about the, the markets for you to actually engage in this kind of uh, trading, I would say. Because if you think of it, most of the investors, new investors that they go into the market, no matter what market you're talking about, when the thing goes the um, uh, opposite way to what they expect, they panic. So they sell on the loss. This is what happens on the cryptocurrency market times a million in comparison to the traditional financial system. So obviously the regulators are obviously panicked. Right now they don't know exactly what to do, how to approach this. So they uh, go after exchanges like Binance, for example, where they impose all sorts of um, uh, what you call the difficulties in regards to people accessing their, their platform. Uh, they came up with the banking regulations where the banks have been cut off ties with uh, certain exchanges. But uh, as I said, everyone with a smartphone in their pockets, if you get in the, if you get, no matter how noob, how noob of or how much of a player you are, if you, if you get into this, uh, what you call it, environment, it's very easy for you to comprehend that, listen, I don't need Binance, I don't need banks, I don't, I can, I can, sorry, I, I need to make this joke. I can lose my money with much ease without having the need to having the regulators watching over me because there are so many pathways that you can, I mean, look, look at Coinbase, for example. No one is tackling Coinbase whatsoever. Yet again, Coinbase is a portal to avoid you to lose your money all over the place. And it's also um, the, uh, what do you call it, the less uh, comprehend, the less knowledge, the, the, the lack of knowledge that the people have in regards to how traditional financial system works. Therefore, their lack of understanding how this cryptocurrency scamming environment works as well. It's like uh, we, we come from the toilet paper U.S. dollars where they print, they, they print money however they like, diluating our, um, what do you call it, our currency, whatever we have in our pockets, barely manage to buy anything after a while. 
and all of a sudden we expect to understand this environment. No, 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 no. It's not gonna. These people, whoever is in charge, they already took the gold away from us to behave so stupidly right now that we don't even know what value is anymore. That's why we actually throw our money left and right. No, this is money. No, this is gold. No, this is Bitcoin. No, this is the other. So everyone is trying to convince everyone to buy something they don't need. With Bitcoin, it's 21 million. I mean, it's it's do the math in there, guys. Honestly, this I don't understand why people keep buying shit coins. Honestly, I do not. Sorry for uh, for going for a bit of a ranting. I, you know me, it's me high. <laughs> it's nice to have you back, Tao. What's up? Hey guys, good morning. Um, so I had my I just had my first normie, literally just this morning, reach out to me and say, hey. Did you see? Bitcoin's at 34k. So that's that's the first <laughs> Did thing. Did you it's, see? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> like no, I I don't know. I never know about the price. It's, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 weird, right? The first normally comes up today, literally just this morning, just reach out to me. And then the other thing is, um, you know, does everybody get this feeling where every time we go up in price and significantly we feel like we never have enough. Like prior to it, where you feel like you're in pretty good whatever, but for some reason, regardless of how much you have, when it goes up, you're like, you know. Clearly, Tao, that is because you have too much fiat. If you had less fiat, you would not <laughs> have those feelings. I guarantee it, because I have yeah. a lot less fucking fiat now than I used to. Tal, your net worth just dropped significantly in terms of Bitcoin. So that's probably why you feel that way. I mean, no. I mean, look. look no, no Wicked like, is just... exactly correct, so... Tal. That is, that is the best explanation right no, there. No, 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 no. Two days ago, two days ago, you feel like you have enough, like so much enough. Like you have that feeling, but it just it flips, right? I mean, it just flipped within a matter of two days. I mean, it's not like, okay, well. Yeah, you got gradually. sitting on the side waiting to deploy, Tao. <laughs> I, love <laughs> I love that he just fucking laughs at you. <laughs> All right. Are you guys ready to switch topics or you want to hit some stats? I think we should hit some stats because understanding where we are relative to where we are even 24 hours ago is probably a good thing to do. And you ready? Let's do this thing. Yeah, right now I got uh, current price 34,225 USD. Uh, the hash rate, 7-day moving average, 401 exahash per second. Right now we have 75,000 mempool transactions. You know, I've been saying they were in the 20s and 30s. Fastest fee right now. The average fee rate in the last block was 42 sats per V-byte. Fastest fee to get into the next block, 47 sats per V-byte. 183 days to go until the next halving. And uh, let's see. That's 87% of the way there. And blocks are still coming in pretty fast, faster than our 10-minute average. Uh, estimated change is still set for, looks like, the 30th. And it's uh, almost 2% up. Yesterday, it was like 3% up. So you see this thing kind of moves around a little bit in between. You can still smash sell your dirty Biot seashells for 2,920 
sats a pop, we've officially crossed the 3,000 sat per dollar threshold, which is a very sad, sad thing. But, you know, 2,900 is not bad. You hear that, Tao? You better stop waiting to for, for sub-30K Bitcoin and just go ahead and capitulate, realize that you were wrong, and just buy it. So here's another fun thing that happens whenever this price goes up. You know, you you hear me sometimes quoting the 24-hour mining revenue, and I've always been, not always, but recently been saying that it's like 28 million, 26 million, you know, like that. But, you know, today, 24-hour mining revenue, 32.9 million, so like 33 million. I mean, you know, <laughs> Bitcoin rises all boats. Yeah, that uh, 2,900 stats per dollar thing, that's the thing. Like, I don't know if you, people who pay who are paying attention to that, you know that number keeps getting smaller. It's going to be 2,500 at some point. Then it's going to be 2,000. Then it's going to be 1,800, 1,500, 1,000, 500. It falls fast, too. It, you know, it, it cruises along kind of sideways for a long time. You get comfortable in that 5,000, 6,000 you know, 4,000, 3,000, and then all of a sudden it's just boom, it just starts fucking collapsing, so. Yeah, wasn't it just a year ago that we were wondering if we were ever going to get sats under 6,000 um, again, or over 6,000, or whatever the ratio is? 510 days of sideways crabbing, sideways to down, crawling through the desert, looking for just a drop of water. Lawrence Lepard is in the audience, throwing you an invite if you'd like to come up here. General Lepard, you should come up here. Tell us what you think is happening here. This has been a longer period than we had it from 20K all the way to 3K because that was about 360-something days. But if you add, it, add up the scam pump, the scam pump from 3K to 15K and then back to 3K, that happened in the next 300, years, 300 days or something like that, then we have a roughly about five hundred, five six hundred days of uh, bearish. If you can, we include that. But uh, yeah, I think this is still the longest uh, dragging period of uh, come on, do something that we had in a long, very long time. The bear market always feels like a long time, but I, I personally think that Christmas is going to come early this time around. I just think so many people are aware of the four-year cycle now and the block halving. I just think there's going to be a lot of front-running going on. A lot of people will try and get in before. Because, I mean, the actual time scale is due back end of so, next so, year. But uh, I think with the ETF, well, it could come in sooner. So clearly some of you have been hanging around with the wrong crowd because I've had a blast the last 500 days, not only here in Cafe Bitcoin, but also with Stack Chain. I've had a blast. I've stacked. I've had fun. It's gone by really quick for me. I don't know what you guys are talking about. You need you know, to find Peter, I'm just I'm I'm just trying to reach out and relate to some of those people that have felt like it's been a rough time. I know there's people out there like that. Listen, New York, CNN, Bitcoin is rocketing higher, topping 35,000 for the first time since May of 2022. It's up over 20% in the past 5 days. This was dropped by Don Bay, of course. Pretty cool. Good morning, Larry Lepard. How are you doing today? I'm great, Alex. How are you? Yeah, I don't have much to add except that I think the, the sovereign debt crisis has gone critical. And I think that um, 
um, anybody who has the time should get on my thread and listen to the last 20 minutes of the Luke Groman podcast with um, Danny Moses. And only it's it's not talking about Bitcoin, although he's a big Bitcoin fan. He, he talks about gold because these guys are old world guys. And as you guys know, everything that applies to, you know, gold applies to Bitcoin and spades. And of course, I think Bitcoin's better, but um, but gold is relevant. And um, it's really it's really fascinating, you know, the urgency with which he talks about what's going on right now. I mean, the, the sovereign debt thing has gone critical in his view. And I, I have to say, I agree. Um, what's happened in the 10 year, what's happening with the, you know, the dollar yen, all of it, um, you know, it's becoming very, and, and now you got the war coming here. It's becoming very obvious to everybody that the U S is bankrupt. And so I think we're in a situation where here where it's game on. And I, I fully expect to see by, by year end, you know, probably $50,000 Bitcoin and over 20 or 2,100, 2,200 gold and and I think next year is going to be just an unbelievable year for both assets. So that's all I would have to add. For yeah, anyone looking into the, the into the price action, bear in mind every time Bitcoin moves about 20 to 30 percent, bear in mind how much of a leverage is in there. We were talking earlier about uh, what you call it, these people, normal individuals that are getting um, what you call it, wrecked and, uh, left and right. Now, uh, the leverage, average leverage that is considered safe, uh, safe investment of approach is between three and five X, according to God knows what stats. I don't recommend rubbish to everyone. You're going to get yourself wrecked because I'm about to basically put the numbers together right now. As I said, 20 to 30 percent drop, increase or drop. That's exactly your leverage three to five X. You will get liquidated without even know what realize, what hit you without realizing what happened. So when when the UUs, we see this kind of uh, what you call it crazy volatility of thirty something percent, all of a sudden you know that there is some dodgy game going on behind the scenes. Yeah, don't don't use leverage. I mean, guys, you know what have we been talking about here on Cafe Bitcoin for you know over a year now? It's stay humble and stack sats. Don't trade. Don't fucking go back to fiat. Oh, and by the way, Mihai, is your other account does it rhyme with jet ski? Maybe. <laughs> and if anything, this bear market should have been nothing but happiness for everyone. Imagine the amount of stacks you, you, everyone should have had. You should have had anyone. Honestly, imagine this going up right now. When it was 15K, actually, when it was about 70K, I had one friend of mine saying, if it's going to go to under 20K, I'm going to buy a whole coin. I contact him as soon as he went to 15K. Did you buy a whole coin? No, mate, this shit is going to go to zero. And I said to him, listen, we're going to go to 30K from here. Are you telling me we're going to do two X from here? I'm like, mate, uh, listen, I'm chilling. You're the one panicking. I don't know what's happening over here. And then boom, we are at 30K. I, I called him back and I said, did you get your whole coin? Did you sell half of it? Did you make some profit? No, man, fuck this shit. <laughs> yep. What I'm curious about is what's going to happen when... uh people start allocating their uh, retirement plans over to Bitcoin. Now, what's going to happen to the stock market? Like this, the normies are going to start starting. to uh, flood across. This yeah. is already starting on the fringe. Like we're already seeing it at Swan. Yep. But I mean, it's a trickle. There, There's over, what's the numbers here? It's like $10 trillion or more in, in retirement plans, right? 
Is there a way we can sneak in a little button when people buy on their retirement plans that pops up and goes, want to learn about self-custody, question mark, and then and then has some some paths there? How do we get that? Uh, can we code See, that pro- into the system? The problem, the problem with the retirement plans and self-custody is, is that it's probably it's probably not good. I mean, you're, you're, you're basically swimming at your own risk with, you know, it's, it's really great white shark infested waters. If you're taking distributions, in other words, you're taking custody of your Bitcoin. If, if it's in a retirement plan. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, leading to self custody using other funds, you know, like, like just learning about it. Um, you know, obviously not pulling from the retirement account, but but starting to learn down that road. It's it's too it's difficult for the. With that. Um, they they could do that with that course in the UK that the government's going to require people to take. If that course actually told people that self custody is the only way you own real Bitcoin, it could be quite a good thing. But just um just following up on what you said there, Lawrence, um, about the sovereign debt crisis. I, I, I mean, the bond prices have been dropping quite a lot the last month or two, but. I mean, it, it may, may be that this is the end, but people have been predicting that for so long. It, it feels like um, it could just be another red herring. I mean, personally, I agree the Bitcoin mm. price is going to go up, but I actually hope that it's not because of a real a real fallout in the sovereign debt market, because that's going to be a real chaotic social situation for everyone. Hey, hey Simon, eventually, right? Simon, have you ever heard the expression, the slowest train wreck in history? That's probably what we're looking at for sure. It is a very slow train wreck. Shit's been going on for fifty years, man. <laughs> and I mean, the longer was... if you if you count the 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 founding of the Federal Reserve. <laughs> Larry, do you have a thought on that? Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. It's look, it, you know, it, it could take six months to a year to fully play out. Um, you know, they, they got their tool Bill Ackman to come out and say he, he covered his bond short. So that's given them a little bit of a reprieve here. And they've got things back under control for a while. But look, they're, you know, the bottom line is, is that, you know, their, you know, their, their, their dam has got lots of holes in it and it's, um, it's failing and it's going to fail. And you can't tell exactly, you know, when it's going to fail. It's like the, you know, the avalanche is going to get tipped off by some snowflake. The last snowflake to run is going to get the avalanche going. But but we're really close. I mean, in my view, we're really close to, a, you know, a March event or, a, you know, a repo 2018-2019 repo blowout event or 2008 event. Or I mean, it's, you know, they, they've got a real problem, which is that they are spending much more than they're bringing in. And the world has, has woken up to it in a big way and realizes that, you know, those bonds are just certificates of, of confiscation. And so, you know, nobody wants to buy them. And, uh, you know, the, it becomes a doom loop. I mean, my, my quarterly letter writes about this. It becomes a doom loop as you, you know, have higher interest rates than they're, you know, they're the, one of the largest borrowers, if not the largest borrower in the world. They have higher interest costs that creates more you know, federal deficit, more federal deficit means I got to borrow more and, you know, rinse, wash, repeat. Right. So, so it's, it's game on, you know, could it be a year? Sure. But I, I think it's actually happening right now. You know, maybe, it, maybe they'll, you know, look, I, I you know, I thought it was going to happen in March with Silicon Valley bank, but they broke the law and, and, you know, put that one, stuff that one back in the can. So they've got a lot of tools and they will continue to fight us, but we're winning in a big way. And I suspect we're going to be very pleased with, you know, the next 18 months in terms of our assets. 
Do you it does think? look like um, Bill Ackman is, is the new Fed put for sure. And I mean, I, I also agree, you know, the, the longer they continue to spend more than they can bring in, um, it is inevitable at some point that, you know, the whole thing has to fall apart. It's just a question of when. I mean, is it gradually, you know, that's a slow, broken, slow, slow motion train wreck is gradually, but then at some point it is suddenly, you know, there is that kind of last straw that, that breaks the camel's back. So it may be now, it may be in five or 10 years time. I've got to say, I've, I've been buying gold for a long time. And I remember 15 years ago, we were talking about how, how unsustainable the US debt was. And I, I never imagined we would still be sitting there saying the same thing 15 years later. Hey, Lawrence, do you think it's going to be more painful if it happens in the next six months or if it takes another year or two or five or 10? Like, do you think it gets worse and worse? Or do you think they kind of make it a softer landing <laughs> if they drag it out somehow? Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna get bad. No, no matter what way it goes, it's gonna get bad. And I mean, obviously, you know, the longer they can drag it out, maybe the more time people have to adjust. But at some point, it's gonna go critical, and it's gonna be bad. Um, but in turn, you know, their response is what's gonna you know light our stuff on fire. And um, you know, the thing I've noticed is that each of these cycles gets shorter and shorter. You know, I mean. Sure. I mean, they printed money in 1998. They printed it again, or they dropped interest rates to 1% in 2002. They, you know, printed a ton of money in 2008-9. You know, and and each each one comes quicker, and with a larger amount of money being printed. And this is, you know, to Lynn's chart of of just kind of the the debt level as against the base money supply. I mean, the two are diverging. You know, they, they either have to print the money or the entire thing is going to collapse. I mean, it's Max's point. You can't taper a Ponzi. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's very difficult to know the exact course, obviously, but, but we do know the outcome. And so, you know, therefore, we just we sit here and we watch as they struggle, which, you know, I just I find it, you know, infinitely amusing to watch them struggle and, and lie and all the bullshit they're doing. I mean, it's. I shouldn't say it's amusing because it's, it's actually it's quite sad because of the pain it's causing people. And and now particularly, I mean, I'm, I'm of the view that, you know, they're going to use this war, you know, that they're ginning up as a this is going to be their get out of jail free card the, the way they use COVID, which I think is just, you know, criminal. But, um, you know, and, and of course, you saw the FinCEN thing where they're talking about they want to know what our addresses are and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think you know, we're going to fight back and, and we are going to win. I mean, we, we've got them in checkmate, um, you know, so it's it's all going to work for us. It's just a matter of what's the timescale. They've certainly got a whole lot of excuses lined up there with with COVID and Ukraine and, and now Israel. They're, they're going to be able to reel out these excuses and say that's why we had to print so much money. But um, and I, I know a lot of um, people in, in TradFi who kind of accept the fact that the government is creating too much money and at some point it's going to end up being worthless through hyperinflation and it's probably one of the ways i like to orange pill people at the moment so what are we going to use to trade at that point you know we're not going to be using physical gold because we're so used to a digital economy you know bitcoin's the obvious asset that we then use to actually continue a civil society and keep on trading but one of the things is that the longer it takes them the more they can actually kick it down the road the more time we've got to build applications that make Bitcoin more usable by, by everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it could be less painful if we have more time. And that's that's the argument, you know, in favor of having it take longer. My view is 
the world is badly broken. We want it to get fixed. So let's just rip the Band-Aid off, no matter how bad it is, and get to the other side where we have sound money. Good morning. Good morning. This is Sam Callahan. Morning. Good conversation so far. I just caught the end of it. I do, I do think that, you know, if we do rip the Band-Aid off quickly, Lawrence, like right now, I mean, just imagine what the transaction fees on Bitcoin's base layer would fucking rocket to. I mean, it, you know, everyone would be calling it dead because it'd be basically unusable by anyone with less than like, you know, a whole Bitcoin or something, right? Like, <laughs> like basically everyone would be priced out on chain. That's a fair point. We're not ready to scale for that. We're not ready to scale for everyone use, to use it. We, we need more time in order for, to make Bitcoin usable. Yeah, and the ETF would help. I mean, it, you know, and of course, of course, they could sell you some paper Bitcoin. Larry, do you have any yeah, uh, but thoughts? I... Do you have any thoughts on the current price action? Do you, do you have any thoughts on catalysts or what's going on with that? Yeah, I mean, I look. I I think, you know, it's. I noted in my tweets. I noted, you know, gold moved first. I mean, you know, gold was at eighteen twenty, you know, three weeks ago, guys, and it, it's moved to nineteen seventy. I mean, it's it's up huge, um, in a very short period of time. And um, and Bitcoin followed as it always does, and it followed with a bigger percentage move as it always does. And um, I think that both of the moves are driven by a combination of what was going on in the bond market, what was stock market and what's going on in the economy. And I think the whole, I think people are coming to realize, I mean, you started to see it in the mainstream press, you know, became the common knowledge game that, you know, the, the government debt was crowding out all other debt. The debt market was losing um, its ability, you know, to get sold. I mean, you had, you had a bad 30 year auction, um, you know, and, and the 10 year was starting to look like, you know, the guilt did when, when, I mean, the UK went through this just last fall, you know, a year ago, and uh, and they had to go back to QE. And so the U.S. market was kind of doing the same thing. So it, um, you know, to me, that's what's driving this. The knowledge that the bond market is in deep, deep shit. And that, you know, as a result of that, ultimately, I mean, gold looks around the corner and says, oh, announced it. But you also saw, you know, you saw 10 or 11 Fed governors coming out and saying, well, maybe the market's done our job for us. We might be close to being done. Then you had Krugman saying, well, maybe, you know, we won the inflation battle. Then you had other couple of guys saying, well, you know, maybe 2% is not the right number. Maybe we need to have a 3% inflation target. I mean, you just see it all setting up for what they're going to do, which is they're going to they're going to have to pivot. I mean, this is not rocket science. It's it's a fact. It's a mathematical fact. So to me, that's what's driving all this price action in both of these assets. Guys, just as an FYI, I got to hop off in 10 minutes because I got I got a Zoom call I got to hop on, but I just want to let you know that. I'm interested am. about the, uh, the ETF, whether it's uh, paper Bitcoin or not, because I know the guys that have registered the one in Europe, they've registered one on, on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange, and I've asked them if they can show me the Bitcoin address so that I can see the on-chain assets. So they've gone to their custodian, they've tried to get the address, but the custodian is Fidelity. They, they say they've got the assets spread across a number of wallets for security. So it's it seems to be out there still possibly as to whether it's actually paid for Bitcoin or not, because they don't show us the address, we can't see the on-chain assets, then it's 
not really real Bitcoin. You know, we're not going to believe it's real Bitcoin. But if they're actually able to show us a Bitcoin address and the number of shares in issuance actually match with what's on chain, then it, it could be a real, you know, amazing way to actually custody Bitcoin. You don't have to worry about losing your keys. You don't have to worry about getting the five dollar wrench attack. You know, you've just got a custodian that's holding for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually believe that Fidelity will be honest about this. I mean, Abigail Johnson's an honest person. That's an honest organization. Um, I'm not so sure about um, BlackRock. In fact, I'm quite suspicious of BlackRock. Um, and, you know, people say, well, they're going to disclose the addresses. No, they're not. Um, and people say, well, maybe we can track. Well, you know, what if they break it up into a thousand addresses? I mean, it's going to be very hard to know if they're creating paper Bitcoin or not. And, you know, the history of Wall Street is one of, of deception and lying and changing the rules. I mean, we know these people are criminals. It's just a fact. So the temptation for them to create paper, paper Bitcoin is going to be extremely large. And I, I, for one, think they're going to do it, but I can't prove it. I'm just, that's just my suspicion. Lawrence, why, why are you confident that Fidelity is not and BlackRock maybe, more importantly, why are you confident about Fidelity? Well, I know, I know the Johnson family. I've met Abigail. I have friends who know them pretty well. They, they're, she's an honest, she's an honest person. That's an honest firm. They, you know, in 2008, they've never done derivatives. It's, it's a privately owned company. Um, you know, she owns it now. Her father used to own it. She now owns it. She's a billionaire. Um, and you know, it's just the ethos of that company is honesty. And so, you know, when you, when you look at an organization, you say, who are the people involved and what have they done in the past? And, um, they're honest. They, you know, they don't, they don't rehypothecate. They don't do derivatives. They do. They don't do any of the Wall Street bullshit games. So, I mean, do I know with absolute certainty? No. But do I? Am I willing to give? I mean, they're they're my prime broker. Am I willing to give them the benefit of the doubt? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, in the same way that I'm willing to give Eric Sprott and the Sprott Physical Gold Trust (PHYS) the benefit of the doubt because I know Eric Sprott. I know who he is. I know what they're about. I know what he believes in. I know the people who run the place. And so. You know, that's all you really have to go on. I mean, could they be criminals? Sure, they could. But, you, you know, know here, I mean, here, I, here's I, the thing, Larry. I, I get what you're saying, and I agree with that. You want to do people, you want to do business with people who have a track record of integrity. But at the same time, I have seen people who have a track record of integrity get backwards on things. Absolutely. And things happen. Things happen. The, the interesting thing about Bitcoin is that we actually have the capability to, as Tall Simon said, see what's on chain. So if a custodian that is holding Bitcoin for an ETF were to say, yeah, we can create a specific address or series of addresses for this particular ETF, make that public. The ETF can make it public. They can put it in the prospectus if they wanted to. There is a way to audit that in real time that everyone can look at. So this is, it's a possible thing to do. I mean, whether they do it or not, I mean, that is remains to be seen. This is a key use case of Bitcoin that these and not talked about enough. It's the most auditable thing we've ever had. And anyone in the world that has the Bitcoin address can see what's in the wallet. And if it moves, then everyone's going to know about it. No, absolutely. And I, and I would hope that maybe someday one of these organizations would do it. I think my guess is that they're going to say, well, for security or other reasons, we're not doing it. They'll, they'll, they'll come up with some excuses. Even somebody is honest as fidelity, but I don't know, perhaps they will, perhaps, you know, perhaps somebody will. And then, you know, obviously they would garner business as a result of that transparency. And that would be a good business move. I think, I think it's going to take a big blow up before any of them do it. So one of them is going to get caught. They're going to blow up 
it's gonna they're gonna lose a ton of people's you know you know what they thought was bitcoin and then regulators are going to come in and maybe even force them to start disclosing their addresses i bet here's the thing regulators understand this they also understand that you can have dedicated addresses that show specific amounts of bitcoin they they know that so it's like if an institution let's say blackrock for example says well we can't we can't disclose that for whatever reason everybody including the regulators know that's bullshit yeah, you're right. Hey, guys, I got to hop. Um, have a good day, everybody. Good luck. Um, enjoy this. It's going to get better. We'll see you all. Thanks for stopping by, Larry. Mike Hobart, good morning and welcome. I saw you were hundreding big time a little while ago. Did you have something you wanted to add here? Yeah, the the tweet that I put out this morning that got some interesting response from the community was basically just stating what Lawrence just argued, and I'm <laughs> I'm kind of laughing at how uh, nobody's really like taking into consideration the fact that like you see gold, crude, and Bitcoin all spike up within a very small like closely knit time frame, and like I'm not trying to like shit on like the bullishness that's going on. By all means, I'm excited, but <laughs> like it's. I don't know. Like, there's just a lot of information that's provided via markets, and I don't think enough people are taking it all into consideration. Is all. Lawrence Lawrence was saying it in like a little bit more of a hopeful way, though. What What do you talk to? Okay, I mean, because like everything. I'm everything kidding. I've, I'm kidding. Mike, I've I'm ever kidding. About or talked about is like it's not like I'm expecting or hoping for the world to fall apart or anything. I think. Um... I think, you know, I, Lynn, Lynn has talked about this, like she's so bearish that she's bullish. It's, it's like when you see, I think the word that everyone's using now, even in the mainstream media, even Jerome Powell is unsustainable uh, when he's talking about the fiscal picture. And for me, this is bigger than an ETF, like this move. I, I think it's people starting to understand the math and it's starting to understand the geopolitical tensions and how there seems to be this fracturing that's occurring in trade relations and in the traditional financial system um, with the weight of this debt. And uh, the world seems to be changing pretty rapidly. You have geopolitical moves occurring between Russia and China and, and things, chess pieces are moving and people are starting to sniff this out. And I think Bitcoin is sniffing this out as a leading indicator and they're starting to do their homework and Bitcoin is unique, I think, because it benefits from a more unstable traditional financial system. Uh, the more inflation we see, the more printing, the more um, chaos. You know, chaos is a ladder for Bitcoin in a way. And I, I do think that this is starting to occur. And this is like a bigger picture where people are starting to understand the absolute scarcity of this digital asset. And the fact that the more instability that occurs at the geopolitical level, um, kind of translates to increased probabilities of money printing. And if there's more money printing, you look at the debt, um, scarce assets are going to benefit, and there's nothing more scarce than Bitcoin. And so I, I really think people are starting to wrap their heads around this thing. And that's why you see like Larry Fink saying it's a flight to quality. And I think people focused on that being like, well, Bitcoin's quality, that's, that's great. But what are they fleeing from? Like what is not quality that they have to flee from. I think that's a really big question that people have to ask themselves. That's a damn good point. Also, you're starting to see legacy finance breaking ranks in ways that I have never seen in my adult lifetime. Just up.
on CNBC. This was sent to me by producer Jacob. Jamie, Di Jamie Dimon is ripping central banks for being dead wrong on economic forecasts. So it's interesting to see the heads of some of the largest financial institutions in the world basically saying, yo, you guys are, you guys are wrong. Couple of things. It goes to show that more Bitcoiners need to be actual economists because a lot of the economists that have been talking for the last three years should not have jobs. Sorry, Peter. That's okay. A uh, couple of things. One, um, I think that the that regardless of what ETF shows up, I think that that is going to, to, to Sam's point about the chaos, there's some real chaos in the, in the, in the, in the Bitcoin space. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on in, at the exchange level <clears throat> where individuals are receiving preferential treatment, um, that kind of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Um, and, you know, I think, an ETF or multiple ETFs coming into this space just adds a um, a level of of stability um, that that hasn't and, and regulation probably that hasn't really uh, been in this space. And I think that that also draws uh, more and more individuals into the space when they when they see it, quote unquote, legitimized uh, like that. And you know, the other thing uh, I wanted to say was. That CNBC, um, after so almost two hours after it was mentioned on uh, Squawk on the Street BTC, and nothing was said. I just saw it at, just at the end of the last hour. They finally talked about BTC. So mainstream media is not talking about this. Means we're right. Okay. Um, so just on the catalyst, last night, uh, Peter and I were on a space with David Bailey and some traders who seemed to know what they were talking about. They're saying that one of the things that amplified the move was uh, these, this short seller in Asia that sold a bunch of call options on ethereum which they hold a lot of but then also maybe for liquidity reasons it wasn't really clear they also typically sell and they did they also sold a lot of bitcoin call options and as bitcoin moved up maybe because of the etf um, <clears throat> news they they got margin called and had to buy more bitcoin to cover and that just caused the price to go up even more, which kind of had this vicious circle from their point of view. Hey, hey Terrence. cycle for us. Terrence, t tell me, yeah, tell me if I'm wrong, but I thought that the explanation was that because you can't really um, transact in ETH, that the that you have to use Bitcoin um, to balance your your position if if you're if you're up if you're on the wrong if you're upside down. Yeah, I think it had to do with. Uh, I think we're saying the same thing. Like Ethereum is less liquid than Bitcoin. Bitcoin's the, the most liquid and maybe the most honest uh, crypto uh, market by far. It's not even close. So that's why they use Bitcoin. But they they did have cover calls on Ethereum, meaning they owned a lot of Ethereum, the Ethereum player, 
and then they bought, uh, sorry, they sold call options on Ethereum to generate income. Then they sold addition. In addition to that, they also sold Bitcoin call options where they were naked because they don't have enough or they don't have any Bitcoin or not enough to cover as a price went up. And as I recall, Sconner was reading off statistics when when Zillionaire came in and wanted numbers, and and the, we were talking hundreds of thousands of of calls on on uh, Ethereum. If if what he is saying is true, yeah. Well, and on top of that, I don't know how many of you guys follow the uh, the whale call alerts accounts, but uh, before this move kicked off, I believe there was over a billion dollars worth of true USD minted. Um, so like, and that's a scammy stable coin. Like I just, like just, it's just stuff to be like aware of. I'm not suggesting it's worth being bearish or anything on the move. Yeah, I met the true USD founders at a meeting in their office because they wanted to figure out how to make their staple coin profitable and he gave them some ideas, some of which they didn't like and they took a holier than thou attitude kind of dissing me for working on derivatives and stuff on Wall Street. Um, <laughs> and the end, I don't, I'm not sure how they ended up being so slimy, but I can't say I'm surprised. They were having a lot of problems with the business model. You know, another thing that was interesting about last night's conversation was one, Sconner, you know, was telling people, don't get in front of this thing if you're not already positioned yeah. on it. Um, so that kind of legitimized, in my mind, that kind of legitimized the conversation. And the other thing that was interesting was right at the end, these three or four um, who seemed to be really in the know people were talking about the fact that, um, you know, anybody, anybody that watches this space or is in this space is looking for ways to continue to punish um, this actor for being so offsides, which, of course, um, you know, moves moves Bitcoin price uh, higher in the process. But it was just a really, really interesting space. A um, lot of a uh, lot of things that go, a lot of things that were talked about that that I didn't know about that happened in the background in these in these um, uh, in this particular area of uh, of derivatives. Yeah, I found Sconner credible partly because he was endorsed by Not Chase, who I've had. Um, I may or may not have had private calls with not chase is quite smart not chase coleman uh to me he's a tethered fudster right but tether truther or whatever but um outside of that he's pretty good he's also too bearish on kind of bitcoin price and the finance uh doj indictments i think he's overly bullish on when that will happen but he's quite good otherwise sam what's uh sam what's the btc the BTC Ethereum price doing right now? Is Ethereum still crashing in value against Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, last time I checked this morning, yeah, it's, it's tanking. This rip for Bitcoin is always good. I mean, it was like up 15% last night. And I think Ethereum was up around six or seven. Um, and that was ahead of a lot of these other alts. And so you're just kind of seeing Bitcoin. I don't, I don't like to say Bitcoin dominance, but... Bitcoin kind of take market share in this bear market, which is historically what you see. Um, but this move was definitely dominated by Bitcoin specifically. Do you have any thoughts on what's going on there? Like why, why is that continuing to happen? 
Light the quality. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really is. I think to fight the quality, I think this bear market, people have started to understand a lot of what we voice here, which is the differences between Bitcoin and Ethereum. I think you have to put in the work and the, the hours to kind of understand those nuances. I think it's really easy to get confused when you get into this space at first. Um, people like to diversify their money across these cryptocurrencies. But obviously, we know Bitcoin is very unique for a lot of different reasons. And during this bear market, I think Bitcoin has kind of separated itself from the rest of crypto in a way that is significant, that hasn't happened before. It's been like, I said, it's like pulling off a leash uh, as Bitcoin has separated itself from, from crypto because all these blowups, people have realized it's happened because of, you know, FTT, like all these centralized tokens, all of this nonsense has caused all of these losses. And people are understanding that Bitcoin is the only one that's decentralized. It's the only one that really doesn't have any kind of leader. It's the one that's backed by proof of work. Um, and it is different. It's actually censorship resistance. You can actually verify that there will be 21 million and trust that there'll be only 21 million long into the future. So it's like um, people are understanding that. And I think that ETH, Bitcoin, I, I said last year going into 2023, there's like I wrote this piece called 10 Reasons to be Bullish Heading into 2023. And one of them was just that ETH moved to proof of stake. Like that itself was one of the most bullish developments for Bitcoin, I thought, because no longer was this ambiguity between Ethereum and Bitcoin. One was proof of stake and one was the dominant proof of work network. And I think proof of work is the better consensus mechanism. And that was one of the most bullish things to happen in maybe all of Bitcoin in the last couple of years was Ethereum shooting itself in the head when it moved to proof of stake. Sam, I, I, I was going to say, the funny thing is that they had to, right? I mean, for Ethereum to scale in any meaningful way, they had to move to proof of stake. So it was a failed system to start with. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. I mean, it's really difficult to start a protocol with complexity. It just breeds more complexity and more issues. I mean, that's kind of what we've seen with Ethereum over time. Um, and that's why I forgot there's like some law in, in in uh, computer science about building simple from the get-go and then adding complexity over time rather than trying to put complexity all in the, the base layer and that just breeds more problems. It's very, very difficult to go back and fix it. You can't really do that. And that's kind of the history of Ethereum, I'd say. Is with each new upgrade, breeds more problems that were unforeseen. Um, this time was interesting, though, because the merge... It was very forcing these centralization forces. I mean, I'm going to have Checkmate on the, the podcast tomorrow, but he was one of the most vocal people when it came to the centralization risks that would occur after the merge, and they didn't listen. They just went along with it anyway. And what he said is exactly what has transpired in terms of the centralization of staking between uh, like three or four entities. And yeah, Ethereum, you know, it's basically a centralized protocol that you know i don't even know what its purpose is anymore really i mean it's just kind of this centralized inefficient computer i guess that you know i, I really don't know i, I don't it's, know why it's, people it's get a, excited about ethereum 
it, its purpose is it provides community, Sam. There's there's a, an opportunity for a bunch of people dressed as, as furry animals to get on stage and do weird nerd dances. And have we seen the splurge yet? Has the splurge happened yet? It's its purpose is to create shit coins. It is the asshole mother of all shit coins. Let's just be real. Well, and its purpose is uh, you know, I would expect Sam, <laughs> you were talking about how there's a key kind of like an understanding forming with folks about the difference between Bitcoin and, and other shit coins. But I still don't put it past uh, even the big players like BlackRock Fidelity to try to profit off what they assume will be another rising of shit coins following a bull market. And then when you look at, here's something that's interesting, this fit for the 21st century bill that's making its way through Congress right now. I was looking through it and it has a threshold for what can be declared a decentralized blockchain um, and how the process is. And it's like the the language is like an individual can propose that a blockchain is decentralized by bringing it to the um, um, uh, the SEC. And and it's like one year threshold of of no centralized players. It's, it's a very uh, low threshold for something being declared decentralized. So it's interesting to see if that's going to make it through uh, and become actual law. And, and then what the confusion that might follow with, with projects at the SEC or, um, you know, the um, whatever organization does the, the commodities declares to be decentralized or not. So I, I was wondering when, so you hear, you hear Bitcoin, you know, with like 5 million percent returns or whatever. So when they calculate Ethereum's returns, is, is the starting point when they sold all the pre-mine to the venture capitalists or is it when they got listed on the exchange? Just, you know, I don't know, kind of curious about the, the calculation. But no, I'm just kidding, guys. But so like I, I'm seeing a lot of growing excitement on, uh, on LinkedIn actually, which I, which I found interesting, um, sort of dead, sort of a grind for the past several months, but, but it's really spiked over the last week or two. And so I, I think there is sort of this shift in sentiment, um, especially happening in the normies, you know, my, my wife started recently and then now my neighbor, you know, people, it's like almost every day now people are asking me about it next door neighbor. He's known I'm the Bitcoin guy for like two years. And then last week, he's like, "Hey, we need to we need to talk about this." Um, so there's there's sort of palpable thing, and and I wonder too is is since Bitcoin was the first to dip when the Fed stopped not thinking about thinking about pivoting, um, you know, maybe it's the first to pivot on the way up too. So kind of kind of like I think Sam alluded to that earlier, but. But yeah, maybe it's sniffing out the Fed pivot, sort of pricing in ETF, like a lot of things going on, but definitely a palpable shift in sentiment that I feel. Yeah, LinkedIn, we've been, I've been posting on there for years and it's always been kind of dead, but it's, I think it's a ton of opportunity there because of a lot of the, you know, older professional world. A lot of the boomers are on LinkedIn, let's just say that. And all the boomers have all the money. And so, um, you know, I've always just kind of posted there. It hasn't gotten that much engagement. But if you're starting to see kind of a shift there, that that's really interesting because that is where a lot of, like, 
the more professional, so to speak, social network um, where a lot of this money uh, communicates a lot of these older folks. So that's interesting, Mickey. That's a good anecdotal data point there. Yeah, and, and that's sort of that's sort of the intent behind my my LinkedIn focus. So I've had the LinkedIn for years. Um, I was I was sort of posting my you know my Bitcoin mag stuff that I started writing for like a year and a half, and it and it's just been sort of a slow grind up. Um, but haven't haven't gotten a ton of engagement until like the last two or three weeks, and it and it just sort of exploded out of nowhere completely. And and like you said, that's that's sort of the intent is getting those, you know, those professional class normies trying to get them educated so that they don't just fall into, you know, FTX or or potential BlackRock traps. I can tell you from personal experience, you have a big job ahead of you. Yeah, those old guys suck. Where's the button for the mic? All right. Uh, if no one has any other points of discussion in regards to the current price action, ETF, uh, et cetera, there's another topic we can shift to. So closing comments, if anybody has any. All right. Next topic. Max Kaiser tweets this morning. I'll be back on Alex Jones later this week with a quiz. If he can answer all five questions correctly, he gets his 10,000 Bitcoin. Now, for those of you who aren't following that story, <laughs> ages ago, Max Kaiser got together with Alex Jones. He's like, hey, man, this thing's really important. Let me give you, let me give you some Bitcoin. He gives him 10,000 Bitcoin, apparently. And then this happened. Jacob, if you're ready, play it. Max Kaiser comes to me and he says, I have 10,000 Bitcoins for you. This is the future. It'll be the new global currency. He, he's on record. And I'm like drinking wine and eating a fucking steak at night. And I go, okay, great. I lost the laptop. He put the 10,000 on it. Today, what's 10,000 Bitcoins worth? A lot. 10,000 times 50. $510 million. Yeah. $510 million. You fucking idiot. <laughs> 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 All right. So obviously they're using 50 as the price, right? So that was a while ago uh, and we're on our way back up to that. But the point is, <laughs> oops, what do you think, what do you think uh, Alex Jones is doing right now in preparation for this quiz? A dude's training like a Rocky montage right now with all the top educators. He's got BTC sessions locked in a, in a room. He's probably getting ready. The, he's the listening first, right now, man. He's in the he's in the audience roll. right now. In, in on account. The first thing <laughs> the, the first roll. thing he did was was learn that the the Bitcoin was not on the computer. He's probably googling all this shit, and he's finding out that like, or maybe not finding out, but he's googling it, and it's taking him to all the crappy resources like Bitcoin.com and all this like Investopedia. Investopedia is not that bad, but like Robinhood all this other crap he's not like because like what he should be doing is reaching out to community participants but i doubt that he's actually doing that you don't Bitcoin's you don't think shinobi's on his payroll mike nope i certainly do not i mean is he still bankrupt 
I mean, probably, right? Like, uh, I guess there was a judgment or whatever. It was like a billion plus dollars or some shit. Yeah, so, I mean, that Bitcoin, <laughs> if Max Kaiser gives it to him, then, then you know, hopefully he has a good plan of not having to give it back. This is so. the greatest boating accident story of all time, isn't it? Hell yeah. Okay, if you're Alex Jones, do you sell that Bitcoin and pay that billion? Or do you just like... Or do you just uh, go to jail and get butt-fucked for the rest of your life? I don't think El Salvador has extradition agreements with the U.S. So he could just go on a vacation to, to claim his prize, right? Does anybody know? Does El Salvador has have extradition agreements with the U.S.? Is that a thing? I don't know about El Salvador, but Brazil doesn't. I would imagine El Salvador does since they're dollarized. If Max Kaiser did end up giving him 10,000 Bitcoin, I have to wonder how much Bitcoin Max Kaiser has. <laughs> I was wondering wild. the same thing. Suzanne brought that up to me this morning. She's like, how much Bitcoin does this guy have? Probably like 20,000. I think he's a, a top, top whale. And Personal. that's why he's in El Salvador, because he has an entire country protecting him. I don't think Max really cares, though, to be honest with you. I think Max is very honest about his beliefs with Bitcoin, about how he thinks it can make the world a better place. And I think he's driven by other things other than money, like personally, from speaking I mean, with him. Imagine being right for so long and just getting shit on for a decade plus and then just i mean I, it makes sense why he's so fucking crazy right i mean i feel crazy after like three or four years of doing this shit he was crazy long before that man if you go back i, I you know back in right. the gold days he used to go on various different shows legacy finance shows and he used to just go completely nuts on those guys it was great yeah great that's, entertainment value that's my kind of crazy right there well, and well and you, you can only imagine how many of those stories he has, right? Because he was probably telling everyone, you know, uh, uh, Alex Jones wasn't the only one he was probably offering boatloads of Bitcoin to or trying to spread the wealth. Well, and to that point, like, just, just imagine, like, the conversations he was having with the economists and the financiers and the hedge fund managers and all this other nonsense of the entire time of just, like, them him calling them idiots and knowing they're idiots, but then like having to take this long to get to the, like I could, I could, I think he would be justified in having a particularly, uh, sullen or dampened view on American, on the American economy in general, just by its participants It's like, all right, well now that I've been proven right, I'm going to go hang out in paradise in El Salvador and you guys can all screw off and have fun trying to figure this shit out. Revenge is a, dish best served cold. And um, since I'm a boomer and I know how to use Google, um, El Salvador does have an extradition agreement with the United States. He's not, that's why, that's why I really respect Max Geyser though. And I know you didn't mean it like this, but he's not just hanging out in El Salvador. He's, him and Stacy are really on the ground there building uh, education efforts. Um, I think he's, he's either the chairman or on the board of the Volcano Energy. Uh, project for Bitcoin mining maxes and um, they they're not just sitting around and they totally could that's what makes them really cool I think they totally could just put their feet up um, and just hang out um, in paradise but they're not they're they're helping build out uh, the Bitcoin ecosystem there which is awesome
Hey, Sam, do you think uh, Max or anyone else is the anonymous donor that, that first donated the Bitcoin to El Zante? Or is that common knowledge who that person is, or is it still a mystery? Oh, I have no idea. I don't know. Possible, but not sure. Isn't it interesting that, you know, we talk about Bitcoin being bottom up a lot, but at the same time, we get these events like that donation to El Zante or like the adoption from El Salvador, which are totally top down, but kind of flies in, in the face of that bottom up a narrative. Yeah, it's like a ping pong. Well, that story is a ping pong, right? Because you get the anonymous donation that says, all right, here's this is in Bitcoin, but it has to go towards building out the Bitcoin economy. And then it, it goes back to nation state implementation. So that's an interesting, uh, we've got to be more documentaries on that. Do you think, yeah, think that was it, before or after he bought uh, hundreds of acres of land in El Zante? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Probably after. It's well, interesting. The Sorry. No, it's just interesting because El Salvador was already dollarized. Um, and so it might be a little bit different for them because they have a quote-unquote more stable currency. But it'd be interesting if another country goes top-down and they kind of skip that dollarization period. Like, <laughs> Just go straight like, to Bitcoin. Like which uh, company? What, what, which country, Sam? Like oh, I don't know. I don't know. Does I'm it start with an A? <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't seem like they're doing that. It seems like, you know, I don't know how realistic it would be to even do that. I don't if know. They, but, if, if, if they just get Malay a haircut, I swear to God, he's going to win the thing, dude. He just needs to get a, like, no. he needs to flip it on him, dude. No, no, no. It's the haircut. That that, that's brand. That's the brand. Yeah, man. If he shaves Side off burns. those mutton chops, he's, he's fucking done for. Hey, Terrence, you think it's going to happen in the Middle East? Uh, what happened? Sorry. Working. Uh, do you think that, do you think that a country in the Middle East might uh, go ahead and use uh, Bitcoin for its currency? No, I think the U.S. has way too much influence in that region. It's too critical, allegedly, for U.S. Secure, national security. So they're going to meddle. The U.S. will meddle and make it punish whoever does that. They kind of, through their surrogates, World Economic Forum or World Bank, IMF or whatever, they already try to punish El Salvador, right? So, yeah, they don't want kind of, kind of like they, they punished uh, Saudi Arabia for, for, for talking about yeah. dropping off. Of, and I, this Saudi is Arabia um, needs us as much as we need them. Yeah, but they didn't punish them very much when they started talking about accepting oil, uh, uh, currency, uh, uh, the, the uh, Chinese yuan. Sure. Because that was always probably because that was always somewhat BS. And the punishment might be in ways that we you haven't you and I can't see. I think behind closed doors, we did tell them there are consequences and maybe show them. Hey, and that might be why this BRICS currency isn't taking off. Stupid idea. Go ahead. Terrence, are you at a UN meeting right now? <laughs> I work out of a business hotel, I told you guys. I, I highly recommend Courtyard by Marriott. I may... Uh, Offer to do a free promotion for them. I thought about writing their CEO. I'm a little crazy sometimes, but it's, I really like how they do their business um, hotels because it's very, very 
work friendly. It's like the best co-working space I've been in. You know, in regards to the bricks not being successful, I saw an article the other day that said um, that the Chinese yuan has surpassed the euro, becoming the second main swift currency by volume. No, you're right. Yeah, the, the, China can get away with it because they're a net exporter, so they have trade deficits all over the place. So if you think about it, when they buy oil from Russia or Saudi Arabia or whatever, they pay in yuan, and their their argument would be, this is what I would say if I were them, I would be like, look, you guys are already buying all sorts of electronics and manufactured products and apparel from from us so just pay in yuan with the yuan we're giving you for the oil i mean does does europe even produce anything now you know what i mean you know just a quick comment back to the alex jones thing number one I suspect Alex Jones is in the hardest crash course study period of his entire life. You know, like how people sometimes will wait the night before the exam. This dude is rallying his entire team. He's like, get me the five smartest Bitcoin guys you know. Stick them in a room with me nonstop from now until this until this quiz. This this is like $300 million. Come on, guys. That would be hysterical television to watch this if it got filmed. Dude, and then if I he did wish. like a uh, who wants to be a millionaire type thing with Max and Alex with the five questions. <laughs> I'd watch that hands so down. It'd be called who could have been a millionaire. Okay, here's the other thing though. Like this is this is like in terms of of reach leverage this is genius you gotta admit this is genius on max's part because you know alex jones has got a whether you like him or not whether you think he's completely retarded or not he's got a gigantic footprint right and so this is like this is content gold coming up here i want to see it they should live cast it and just show how much alex jones doesn't know about bitcoin It'd be goddamn hilarious Brad Mills, good morning. How are you doing? What's going on in your world, man? Uh, hey, good morning. Uh, what is going on in my world? Oh, Canadian dollar is losing its value. Bitcoin is gaining value and purchasing power. Those are uh, great things to watch as, as Trudeau loses value in political power and the Bitcoin... Uh, adjacent Pierre Polyev gains political power in Canada. It's good to see. It's good to see. Are you, is it a proud Canadian time? I mean, I heard you guys are getting UBI. Is that true? You know, actually, I I want to. Uh, I'm starting with a uh, with some other Canadian Bitcoiners, a nonprofit called the Bitcoin Coalition of Canada, and it's our goal to do like multi-partisan education of uh, politicians. And uh, we had a meeting with the MP and the uh, my local MP and the deputy leader of the Conservative Party like a week and a half ago. Sam Parker's in the audience. He was there. We had, um, you know, we got a goal of trying to actually study whether or not 
UBI plus Bitcoin if you run a deficit would would make any sense. I'd like to put some money towards researching that and see, like, we already do a lot of social stuff here. Like, we have basically, like, UBI with our child tax credits and all that stuff. So, like, if you could reduce government bloat by doing UBI, just blanket UBI, get rid of everything else, fire 13,000 CRA employees, sell off all the buildings that all these people work in, <laughs> just do, like, blanket UBI, and uh, 5% of it's in Bitcoin in, like, time-locked multi-sig. I mean, that, that would that be a way forward to prevent societal collapse with a switch to a sound money system? Potentially. Maybe a way forward for Bitcoin. But yeah, we're not getting UBI anytime soon, I don't think. But uh, for sure, um, we're going to get some we're going to get some um, more people interested in bitcoin in canada i believe with you know what how, how does it work in the states with you guys are is everybody believing the narrative that the government tells them that like inflation is low and stuff or do like do people actually believe that probably my, Most people yeah, are my brother my brother and my three sisters absolutely believe it so that's anecdotal but there you go they're boomers i think it depends who you are all right. There's a big chunk of the United States population that fiat has treated them really well. You know, I heard somebody say it. I'm trying to remember who, it, but basically they said, I'm trying to remember the date too. Like if you owned a home prior to, prior to 2008, you're wealthy. Everybody else is sucking. And so there are a lot of people in the U.S. Maybe it's in the home. Maybe it's not. I mean, the cancel on effect has made a lot of people very wealthy. And there's a situation here where there's kind of two classes of people right now. There's the class of people who have enough assets and enough wealth where as inflation continues, they get wealthier and they don't feel it. You know, they believe the dog and pony show hundred percent and everybody else is like, what the hell bro. And there are people that are falling off the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder every single day. The number of homeless in the United States climbs pretty much every day uh it's a it's a pretty crazy thing that's going on there and they'll keep probably believing that up until it's no longer true one thing i was i wonder joe if you could come up i wanted to ask a question that i think maybe you'd be good to answer i was thinking about this perspective of the massive debt of the united states and how the swap lines are being opened to all the central banks all over the world to uh, to try to you know ease the pain of the uh, dollar denominated debts that all these countries have. But when when you look at like the debt to GDP of the United States, even though it's obscene compared to like Canada and other countries, it's not that bad. And I was just trying to think through the relationship there. Greg Foss always says that, you know, Canada's the, the canary in the coal mine, right? So we'd fail before the United States. But like our debt to GDP, our, our government tells us, like they gaslight us all the time and tell us, oh, we've got the lowest debt to GDP in the G7. They keep saying that at 60%. But they actually aren't measuring the same way that like Germany and other G7 countries are because Canada measures debt to GDP 
just like CPI, it's like a manipulated political number. Canada removes the liabilities of the pension plans. So, like, in if you look at Statistica or any of these other places, even the Federal Reserve, they report Canada's GDP at, like, 100% or higher. But Trudeau and, and Freeland are out there telling, like, everybody, oh, we're so fiscally responsible, we're doing better than all of our G7 partners. It's no wonder that, like, the, the other G7 countries treat Canada as a joke. They're out there bragging about how good their finances are when it's actually the Federal Reserve opening up trillion-dollar swap lines to them to keep them solvent. But... If you look at the private debt to GDP of Canada, it's like almost 300%. When you combine the debt to GDP of Canada, uh, like the government, the provinces, and private households, it's over 300%. And in the United States, I think it's something like 150, which is still crazy. It's like World War II level, but it just feels like... Canada's in a very precarious spot right now. And it feels like the only reason why we're staying afloat is because somebody's got to be buying our bonds. It's got to be these swap lines keeping us afloat or something. It just, it just, just feels really weird here. Hey, Alex, I just wanted to point out, so I, I've been watching the, the number of people in this space tick up and it's, it's almost at 900 right now. And that's, I mean, that's the most that I've seen, I think, ever. I haven't been around for a while, but, you know, just just another example of, of sentiment shift. Yeah, people want to hear all about Canadian debt, I guess. That's why people are joining. Yeah, it's Brad. <laughs> hey, hey, Brad, Brad before, Brad said UBI. before we move from the Canadian debt, Brad, what's so crazy about that, how you said they don't include the pension liabilities, is even the pension liabilities themselves are grossly underestimated, which is like a... It's even crazier, you know, so it's even even if they did include it, it would still be um, it's somewhat inaccurate. I tweeted yesterday because uh, one of my buddies on Clubhouse was like, you know, Teddy, he was like, hey, did you see Bitcoin at 50K today? And I'm like, what? 50K? You serious? Because our all time high in Canada was 80. I'm like, it's not halfway to the all time high, is it? So you, I went and I looked at the drawdown in Canadian dollars and U.S. dollars. And the gain that's required to get us back to all-time high in Canadian dollars and U.S. dollars. And that's a perfect like kind of frog boiling in water moment that I just realized how much the Canadian dollar declined in the Bitcoin bear market. We need a 70, we only need a 70% to get us to all-time high in Canadian dollars. But you know, in US dollars, you need a hundred percent gain. So it's like halfway to the all-time high, but in Canada, it's only need a 70%. So I, I did the math on it. It's like 17 to 18% decline in purchasing power of the Canadian dollar in the last like two and a half years. Thank I think it's the Brian. same story did with a... the Japanese yen too. What were you saying there, Joe? Brad, did you have a question? Did you have a question? I, I thought I heard my name. Yes. Yes. Like, you know, the, the Federal Reserve opens up swap lines to different central banks, right? They, they provide these multi-hundred billion or sometimes trillion dollar swap lines to, to central banks all over the world. And I was wondering, like, do you know if the Federal Reserve or other central banks are also um, buying the bonds of the other countries? Or are they just doing swap lines? It's just swap lines, and the swap lines charge interest for the swap. So, if you're, if the Fed is swapping dollars for yen, for example, 
they're they're charging the other central bank interest for that yen or whatever, the Canadian dollar, et cetera. So in the case where, and if this did happen, like the the Federal Reserve opened up a huge swap line to the Canadian, uh, the the Bank of Canada, and then our Canadian dollar declined by seventeen point five percent against the U.S. dollar. Does that mean that we are going to have to print? 17% more money to no. pay back the swap line? Like, how does that work? No, no, You will swap exactly the amount, like dollar for dollar, that you took out the loan at, regardless of the FX volatility, and you just have to pay interest on it. So it's like effectively a, a collateralized loan. So it's collateralized. Um, we by get, the currency. By the currency. By the, oh, okay. So it's not like they don't actually give... Canadian dollars, they just collateralize a US dollar loan with Canadian dollars? They give, they actually give you US dollars. So let's just use simple numbers. If there's a million dollars and and say it was for a million dollars worth of Canadian dollars, I know the exchange rate, forget that, put that aside for a second. Um, you're going to pay, the other central bank's going to pay in, interest, okay? Line, whatever the swap, it has a term. You get back your one million Canadian and we get back our $1 million plus interest. What do they do with the money? Do they buy bonds with it? The Fed or the Canadian The Canadian sent the Canadian, the Bank of Canada. Is that how they facilitate like the bond market from, from not collapsing, like with swap lines so that it, they can it, it buy their own bonds? On, it depends on what country. If you're opening a swap line to an uh, emerging market, it's very different. Most developed countries, when you're opening swap lines, they are buying bonds. So like the ECB in 2022, I remember there was a headline where the, they, they opened up a $4 trillion swap line with the ECB. So was that like most of that was used to rescue from the banking crisis that was kind of like brewing there? Yeah, so what, bonds does, and stuff? what they did, they got $4 trillion of US, right, at the equivalent value of euro, right, at the time. And then what effectively happened is at the conclusion of that, we got back our dollars plus interest, and they get their um, euro back, whatever the FX value spot is. How do they get the? How do they like get liquidity to get give back the dollars? That's what I'm. I'm confused well, they can about they that. can print euros, right? They can print. Oh, euros. they print euros to pay back the Fed, which devalues the currency. That's why our dollar has declined seventeen percent. Because they it is back such a line. scam. Like the whole thing is such a huge scam, man. It just blows my mind that these people get away with this stuff. That's the that's why I say the uh, the number one export of the USA is hegemonic inflation. Copywritten. Nobody else can say that. It's good they, to be a gangster. I think the big takeaway is that the financial system is just ripe with all this engineering and fuckery and it's intentionally opaque. You know what I mean? And so it's just, you know, people stay out of it because they, they think it's complex and it is complex, but it's intentionally so. Right. And so Bitcoin fixes this. It's just going to be so glorious when Bitcoin hits the all time high, because Justin Trudeau has spent the last two years dunking on Bitcoin in the house of commons like he just at least five or six times i've seen him and and the the minister of finance as well just you know you pierre polly have recommended canadians buy bitcoin and look it's down 50 percent. 
guess what? Canadian bonds are now down more than Bitcoin is. So they've already kind of like lost that narrative, even though most people aren't financially literate and they won't understand it. But Canadian bonds are in a longer drawdown, a thousand day drawdown right now, over a thousand days. So Canadian bonds are a shitcoin for sure. Hey, Alex, I, I just I wanted to point out Dr. Jeff in the audience. He had this cool tweet I saw this morning where he, he like retweeted himself. But basically, he was predicting Bitcoin from 100,000 to a million USD by like Q2 2025 or something. I was wondering if you wanted to have him up to talk about that. Yeah, Put it in the nest. Put it I, in the I, nest. I'll, yeah, I'll have to go dig it up. Let me Let me find it again. And, and so, you know, by default, when we see Dr. Jeff in the audience, we always throw him an invite. The thing is, Dr. Jeff is busy being a doctor nowadays. So he, he unfortunately rarely comes up anymore because he's busy. He's doing stuff. But we still love you, Dr. Jeff, even though you're a crab and like live crawling sideways for hundreds and hundreds of days. And you're currently in the audience, so you can't say anything about it. So we can give you a ton of shit about it right now. And yeah, we love you, man. That's bait, Dr. Jeff. And you know, every now and then he has a patient come in and he goes, hey, I, you know, I have to diagnose you with uh, Fiat Maxi syndrome. I'm sorry. Um, you won't be able to find this online. This is real. Prognosis, have fun staying poor. I'm sorry, but you're probably not going to make it. This is a very think- difficult conversation to have. You think Dr. Jeff ever throws the like a Bitcoin logo on an X-ray before showing it to a patient, going like, "Look, here's what we found." How furiously is he trying to finish up whatever he's doing so he can come up here and retort? Yeah, I just, you know, I just here the funny out. thing is, he is. We have given him shit many times, like we've messed with him many times. He has never taken the bait. Like to his credit, man stands strong in his conviction. Whatever the hell he's doing right now. I just wanted to point out, if, if I had a dollar for every time my wife asked me what the fuck Dom is talking about, I would have a lot of dollars. <laughs> hey, my wife as well. And my, you know, I even ask myself that a lot. Hey, uh, Terrence, I heard you earlier on the space, you were saying that you... You weren't sure if this was, um, I, I kind of agree with you. My sentiment on it is like, this, this isn't like guarantee that the ETF is coming anywhere soon. And then I read, um, I read uh, Alex Thorne's thread. Did you guys see that? Where he exactly. talked about the gamma yes. squeeze that was happening and how it could be I an did. explosive move because of all the, all the like volume of the gamma strategy that some of these hedge funds are doing. Looks like he was correct. He was absolutely correct. Um, And then he also said, and I talked about this earlier before he came on, that um, based on his sources, and I think he cited like um, two guys from Bloomberg Intelligence, James Seifert and Eric Bacallhouse or something, and Paul Grewal, who's the um, highly regarded regarded I'm being sarcastic, but um, chief legal officer of Coinbase and Kathy Wood that the, because the SEC has been talking to all these uh, ETF applicants 
and they approved, as Joe said, the You muted yourself, Terrence. Oh, oops. Um, I'm highly regarded as well. Uh, yeah. The, so, so the because the SEC approved seven or so futures ETFs all at once, I think I now think that number one, the Bitcoin ETFs get approved much sooner than Q2 and, and launch much sooner than Q2 Q3. I was more focused on launch. But um, it does seem like these ETFs can launch pretty much as soon as they're approved, if they're ready. And a lot of them are ready I, or close to ready. I, I got to ask you something about the ETFs because I get a bunch of like my my crypto like Kool-Aid drinking friends are like, yeah, next is the Solana ETF and the ETH ETF. And I'm like, okay, so yes, BlackRock has a gold ETF and a silver ETF. And yes, they have exposure. Like there is a way for you to gamble on metals through like the metal index ETF or something like that. But BlackRock doesn't have like a zinc ETX or a copper ETX or uh, ETF, I mean. So do you think like there's any legitimacy to that idea that they're going to go down the path of like, you know, following Ralph Paul down to the risk cliff and go and launch and Bitcoin ETFs? Or do you think maybe they'll do like an industry, a crypto industry ETF or something? Or just not even bother? Yeah, there might be some sort of index ETF. Um, Solana is an open question. I think they're going to do Ethereum, sadly. Um, just because based on what Larry Fink has been saying, he doesn't understand Bitcoin that well. He's been talking about blockchain smart contracts. Same thing with Franklin Templeton, CEO. They don't get it. Fidelity understands Bitcoin, but ultimately they're pragmatic. And um, you and I actually know people who've worked at or do work at Fidelity, uh, Brad, who are, you know, they're not um, they're not maxis at all or anything close. So um, bottom line, I think um, they do the Bitcoin ETF. They probably do the Ethereum. The other ones are questionable because there is a crypto cleanup, right? So the, the the reason I was more bearish on timing and also whether or not like Grayscale would get approved, which I've kind of changed my mind on both, but um, is because I feel that the other narrative that's happening is a massive crypto cleanup, whether it's FinCEN, NYAG, SEC, DOJ, the FTX, uh, sorry, FTX. SBF trial and alleged um, rumors of talks between the DOJ, CZ, and Binance to either do a plea deal or otherwise they may indict. We'll see. But yeah, so that would hurt, I think, the smaller coins, the weaker altcoins. So Ethereum might survive, sadly, but the other altcoins hopefully will go away or just go down 90% or more from their current price. Terrence, I, you know, I think, I think they know they have time if there's going to be another ETF approved. And again, I mentioned it earlier. If you look at this fit for the 21st century act, you will see that it sets the table for the sec to, to certify other projects as quote decentralized with a very low threshold. They lay out the terms. It's like, you know, cannot be centralized within the past years. No one can hold more than 20%. 
the, the threshold is not true decentralization. I think they'll wait for yeah. uh, other projects to get through and get certified as quote decentralized. And, you know, if they'll make money off it, I bet they'll find a way to get it on the table. Yeah. So, so I hear your point. I'm not sure they care that much about decentralization because, but they do care about material misstatements or omissions and they don't really understand decentralization. They're just kind of being lobbied heavily by Andreessen Horowitz and these other kind of crypto players with tons of money, tons of lobbyists. I, I agree. They don't really care except when it comes to the branding of Bitcoin and what, sure. uh, you know, what we were talking about earlier about how people are finally starting to tell the difference. If people are starting to tell the difference that there's Bitcoin and everything else, then they may start to care about ways to link something like, oh, just like Bitcoin, this thing is decentralized. Yeah, if they're going to be um, limited in how they can market uh, crypto or altcoin ETF because it is clearly a security. They can no longer hide behind, well, you know, it's decentralized. It's not a security. XRP is not a security when sold to retail based on the, in my opinion, incorrect ruling by Judge Torres. She's been criticized by her own judge in her own district, Judge Rakoff. Anyway, so, yeah, I hey, think that can happen. That, but is, is, these are all digital penny stocks, right? And penny stocks are legal. There's a way Aaron, to do it. So go ahead, Brad. Regarding that Ripple thing, right? Like, I also, I've not been following the news very much lately. I've just been trying to disconnect from the, the daily toxic news cycle of everything and whatever. So isn't it, maybe this isn't true, but I thought that the reason why the SEC uh, withdrew the case and kind of stopped proceeding to go for a judgment against Ripple's executives or whatever is because that would have dragged on for like another six months. And instead they can just now go and appeal to a higher court and, uh, and that they plan to do that. Is that true? Or did they actually just like give up on the case? It's unclear, but more likely they gave up on um, their case against the Ripple executives, Brad Garlinghouse, because the real prize is Ripple and stopping Ripple from promoting and offering and selling um, something that's a security, which is XRP. So I think they did that to speed up. I personally think they did that to speed up the process so they can appeal sooner rather than waiting till March or April next year or something because that's how long it would take for the Garlinghouse thing to to finalize. And also, you know, there is some pushback from judges on both Ripple and Grayscale. And there's a lot of pressure that you and I don't see, I guarantee it, from these crypto casino players and VCs to tell the SEC just one of five. Vote. You're cutting and out, at Terrence. least two of those. All right. Yeah, Terrence, how can you run a business in the hotel? Um, action. What the hell? All right, let, let's actually go for a summary. Let's go for a summary here. We've got five minutes left in the show. We're going to start moving to, to closing yes, comments. So, Terrence, please summarize your position, and we're going to close up. Bottom line, I think um, the. Bitcoin ETFs will be approved in mass, like a whole bunch of them. All of them will be approved very soon. That's my new thought. And the price movement recently has a lot to do with an 
Um, short sellers getting squeezed uh, as usual. And yeah, that's it for me. All right. Any other closing comments uh, on any of the topics from today's show? Well, I just would like to uh, probably give my take that I still think that we haven't seen capitulation in altcoins yet. And uh, Bitcoin is fundamentally disconnecting from everything that we thought it was correlated to and that transitory inflation wasn't real, but uh, it was really just correlation was transitory. So I would caution anybody listening here that's like loading up on shitcoin bags and like, you know, thinking ETH and all this other stuff's going to follow Bitcoin, that there's a different reason why Bitcoin's gaining and you should not, you know, you're not, you're not deserved of an alt season like you saw in previous cycles. It's not like, you know, just don't expect that's going to happen again and start loading up on Solana. And the main thing is, even if you're not a Bitcoin maximalist, create a split personality that is a Bitcoin maxi and let your Bitcoin maxi personality control your Bitcoin. Don't let your shitcoin degen side control your Bitcoin or have access to your Bitcoin. <laughs> that's the first time I've ever heard anyone say anything remotely like that. And I love it. I want to hear so from D plus plus personalities. I want to hear from D plus plus. She's been on the stage here for a little bit. Haven't heard from her yet. Tell us something happy and cool. <laughs> what do you think about this? Punk? I, I, so this is what's so sad is this show is so early for where I am at with my time zone as I miss it 99% of the time. That's the only reason why I'm not in here like every day. And so I'm like not even lucid yet. Like I haven't had any coffee. Um, but what I will say is in 2020, I didn't even need coffee. Like starting in October of that year, when Bitcoin hit 13K, I was just like on one. Like I woke up in the morning, no coffee, no nothing, just like awake. And I'm wondering if that's going to happen again this time. But I haven't even read the news yet. I have no idea what happened while I was asleep. I was hoping that you guys would tell me that, um, I don't know, we're going to the moon or something. So anyway, good morning. Good morning. We should start a, maybe we should start a 35K, no coffee to 50K club. Honestly, you don't need it when Bitcoin's pumping, but this was a pump for ants, so it wasn't enough to like <laughs> jolt me out of bed. But we should start like a swan show that's not so early. <laughs> uh, we've been actually talking about that. We might do that. We might do like we might break up Cafe Bitcoin into two segments where we do one starting at 9 a.m. Eastern and then the other starting at 9 a.m. Pacific. We'll see. Yeah, or let's do like a technical one where we just talk about Bitcoin tech and that kind of stuff. If you guys are open. Would you be down for that every day? Though? Because I mean, we don't fuck around here. Seriously. Like we're well, here every day. This is episode 400 and some ridiculous number. If if you guys did that, you would have technical people in there every day. Guaranteed. Yeah, we should talk. We should talk because see, Alex, I only met you more recently, but I got started with my Bitcoin education literally on cafe Bitcoin on Clubhouse. And not only did we go every day, we went all day, every day. <laughs> like the times back then were just different, man. Plus plus when you switch to when it switched to spaces, um, I got literally got my education from you, my technical education. Aww. That's an honor to hear. You did you I did my first lightning transaction Aww. with you and I did my first on chain uh, transaction because of you. Thank you. Oh my gosh, that makes me so happy. I'm I'm smiling. Um, now now I'm like getting the adrenaline rush of waking up <laughs> because I feel it. 
just renewed purpose. And yeah, I think we definitely need it because we're going to be coming into a bull market soon. And with bull markets come lots of new questions about wallets and lightning and cold storage. And it's amazing. So let's do it. All right, cool. Well, thank you for the feedback. That's pretty much it. Any last call for closing comments before we wrap? BlackRock ticker for the ETF get delisted. <laughs> Shout out to the pleb in the audience there, uh, the pleb reporter. You guys should check out his YouTube channel if you want to follow Canadian politics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure everybody here does, Brad. Get your get your Bitcoin off exchanges. We haven't we haven't really pushed that message today. So get your Bitcoin off exchanges. Looks like Coinbase has now a a weekly limit for um, uh, moving your Bitcoin off of exchange. All, all right, those, that's all it. Those, then. All those limits can be adjusted, by the way. If you just well, maybe not on Coinbase, but a lot of other places, you can get them. You can get them higher. Okay, that's it for the day. Uh, tomorrow night, Bitcoin Veterans, 7 p.m. Eastern Pacific Bitcoin. You can still buy tickets uh, at the early bird, cheapest rate possible, fully refundable through the end of February. So check that out. You have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. We do this live on Twitter Spaces, also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. You can throw me or Swan of all. You'll be notified when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin to sponsor the show, my crew. And Peter, Sats for Life, Wicked Dombe, and producer Jacob. I'm your host, Alex Stanzik. I work with Swan. If you want to know more, shoot me a DM. I'm happy to help you. Thanks again to the speakers who come on here every single day, spend their personal time teaching people about this bright orange future. This is what we call getting on the mission. Love you guys. Everybody get out there. Have a great day today and crush it. <laughs>